So on the tee, a man who's well-traveled throughout the world, born in Falkirk, grew up in South Africa, has worked in Turkey and Azerbaijan, and decided to return home to the Northeast to continue on with coaching. Uh, he was a junior coach in 2004 to 2010 for the national team, the junior national team. And he's been the Scottish Boys national, national coach from 2015 to present. Please welcome Spencer Henderson. Thank you. Cheers, David. Good introduction. I've been practicing a lot, Spencer. So, so Spencer, what was, it like, what was golf like out in Turkey and Azerbaijan uh, in comparison to the UK? Um, I mean, golf's obviously been so long established in, in Scotland. Um, relatively new sport in Turkey, I suppose, and, and completely new in Azerbaijan. Um, I think not just from the golfing side, but also more from like a, a kind of cultural side as well. You know, I moved out. I live in Cooper, which is about 10 minutes from St. Andrews with about 10,000 people. Um, I moved out to Istanbul, which has 20 million people. Um, absolutely mental, off-the-chart city. If anyone's ever been there, I mean, even just kind of driving a car out there was, was so different. Um, mm -hmm. So that side of things, kind of the culture, it's obviously 99% Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, out there, me being a big Bacon and Pork fan, that was a wee bit of an adjustment as well when I was out there, obviously. <laughs> um, but no, the golf was great. W uh, went out in uh, 2010. Kind of the main remit was to kind of try and develop uh, the national team out there for the Eisenhower Trophy, which is the World Championship in 2012. Um, really got on great with the kids. Absolutely loved it. Had a fantastic national team. Coached the boys, the girls, the men and the ladies. So it was it was quite a mix, um, but yeah, that was that was brilliant. Three, three, about three years of my life out there. Um, mm -hmm. Learned loads about myself, obviously. And what was what was the weather like in comparison to the northeast? Um, winters are actually quite similar to over here, to be honest. Uh, it can be pretty cold. We had snow a few times, but it's almost like someone turns on a switch on the first of March and it's just scorching from the first of March, like through the first of October. So you don't see much rain. Um, we did all our training down in Antalya, which is where all the kind of major golf courses are. Uh, mm -hmm. The weather's unbelievable down there, but like you can't go there in July because it can get up to 50 degrees. Golf mm -hmm. courses in Antalya, phenomenal, really geared up for tourists. So um, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of uh, kind of students that come in to see me go out there on golf holidays. So um, yeah, so love the golf side of things. Absolutely love the team. Didn't work out. They kind of treat golf a wee bit like football out there. I don't know if you've ever seen football out there, yeah, so you're yeah. Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, but they treat it like that. It's like, if things don't work within a year, we'll bin, bin the coach, we'll bring in a new coach and things like that. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so my contract, saw my contract through, um, and then actually got approached by Azerbaijan, which I, oh, hand on heart, didn't even know where it was. I mean, I had to go and look on the map. I had zero idea where it was. Um, I mean, they had nothing. They had one driving range and one golf course in the whole country. They had five kids playing golf um, and a massive expat community. So the expats, the nearest golf course was about nearly two hours away by car. Uh, so my whole job out there was really to go in at grassroots level and develop golf. So kind of writing structures, strategies, um, you know, working closely with RNA to get funding for them, working with the EGA, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, started out five kids played golf in the country wrote a program, uh, it's known as the, the Land of Fire. So wrote a, a program called Flames Golf, 
went into schools, introduced golf to about 1,200 kids in schools over a six-week period, and then had about 120 that would come every weekend to our, our golf academy. So again, loved it, that side of things. But yeah, politically really different, lads, compared to what you're used to back here. Yeah, um, and obviously, just before we go on to the next one, just with regards to uh, growing up in South Africa, you know, what, what hmm. was that like in comparison to well, here? I mean, I was born in Falkirk, but then I lived in Grangemouth. If anyone's ever driven past or been in Grangemouth, it's really not the kind of not the prettiest of places. So we moved out there. Um, my, we emigrated out there when I think when I was eight. Um, did all my schooling out there. All, all my kind of all my sports. That's where my love of sport really came from. Weather's obviously good. I mean, you do everything at school. I mean, you play cricket, you play rugby, you play football. Um, had a great kind of. Out, you know, like an outdoor community, almost a wee bit like places like Australia. Um, loved my time there. Again, it was quite a wee village, um, a wee town that we lived in, huge expat community. Uh, loads came over from Britain. So I just absolutely loved my time out there. Uh, finished school at 17. And when I was out there, national service was still compulsory. So, uh, oh, sorry about that. Sa sadly, I... Uh, Sadly, I had to kind of finish school when I was 17. Plan was to play golf full-time for a year and kind of see where I got to. And then um, had to, uh, got drafted up to the National Service, which at 17 years old was, was quite different. Sorry about that, boys. That's no, you're quite all right. All right. So, um, so yeah, that was it. <laughs> uh, national, you know, national Service is... Um, it's one of these things that, you know... I think having gone through it, you know, it's an experience that's probably made a lot of the things that you've gone into, you know, as an adult, you know, you probably look back on that and it's probably set your, your tone for how you've went and approached the, the coaching side of things and how you've kind of so progressed as an adult into your, your working career. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it gives you a bit of discipline. It makes you kind of approach things a certain way and it's probably helped you as a career, you know, to, to do things the way you've done them. So. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Darren. Good. Someone's, uh... Hey, I totally agree with that. I mean, uh, you got the opportunity to do things that, like how many kids would ever get the opportunity. I mean, I was firing machine guns, throwing hand grenades, you know, all in, in basic training. Um, and the dis discipline side was absolutely massive. And there's no doubt about that. You know, I carried that through. Um, and my coach and the kids that I coach know that as well. Um, I have a good crack with the boys that I coach, obviously. But, you know, they'll know that on time is on time kind of thing as well. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great time out there. Didn't enjoy it at the time, mind you, but <laughs> looking back now, it's class. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, like a lot of coaches, you're going to be really passionate about the aspects of the game that you, you work in. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, the technical side of golf, what do you think is the most overlooked part technically that people tend to... Uh, um, I suppose if you, if you look at the majority of people that come for lessons with me up at Paul Laurie Golf Centre, I would go, I'm probably 98% on the long game and 2% short game, for example. Whereas if you had a, a European tour event there, it would be the complete opposite. You'd see probably the majority of guys out in the short game area. That would be one thing, um, certainly for me. For technique, I mean, it's, it's developed a lot over the last wee while as well. I mean, I'm, I'm really, as I said, I'm fortunate. I love coaching short game. I like getting out there. Um, I really love getting out on the golf course. So I would say that's one thing that's probably most overlooked is a lot of coaching is done in driving ranges, but we actually play golf on golf courses. So, you know, there's a big difference between hitting a ball off a flat lie. Um, and if you hit a crap one, 
reload, hit another one, whereas on the golf course, there are so many different scenarios and options that you can uh, that you can have out there. So I think you can make massive gains on the golf course, massive gains on short game and putting as well. Um, with the kind of better level players that I coach, like the Scotland team, we use a, we look a lot of statistics as well. Mm-hmm. So that's probably something that you know higher handicaps wouldn't do. So they wouldn't really know what areas of the game they genuinely need to work on. Um, so I would say expectation levels are, are very different from a, maybe an 18 handicap that comes in to see me from a golf school. One of the first questions I, I'll do is uh, ask is, what's the tour average from eight feet? So you're on a putting green in America, PGA Tour, best greens in the world, best putters in the world, practice X amount of hours a day, and everyone's like, oh, they're going to be like 95% from eight feet. And you're like, well, they're only 50%. Mm-hmm. So it almost puts a bit more of a kind of sense of realism on things as well. You go, look, you don't, you're not going to hold all of these. So kind of don't panic about it if you don't. So. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that's probably something from watching TV or watching golf on TV. You know, you watch TV and you're seeing the kind of back nine on a Sunday where everybody's holding putts. And, you know, you think to yourself, that's the kind of standard that you should be playing at. But you don't see the guys that are missing these other putts, you know. Oh. Absolutely. I mean, if you, you think about it, what you're seeing on, on, a, on a tournament day is the best of the best, aren't you? So you're not seeing the guy that's 150th that's shooting 10 over um, and missing those three foot, foot. So it just makes them look absolutely brilliant. Don't get me wrong, these golfers are, are incredible. Um, but yeah, I suppose it kind of takes the picture just a wee bit watching it on TV. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you know, you've been coaching for a long time. I mean, how do you feel kind of coaching has evolved over the years that you've been coaching and I mean do you feel there's anything that's kind of do you feel like there's any it's changed for the better or do you feel like it's changed for the worse maybe in some ways or um you know, I think when I kind of first started coaching there was a there was a vi- you know I was using video cassettes and, and, a, and a system called the A-star system um where you would draw lines and all sorts which at the time was brilliant it was better than anything we had um I mean obviously over the last number of years we've had launch monitors like Trackman which are you know, they're, they're so accurate. So it's giving you evidence as to, to what is actually happening when you're hitting um, golf shots. You've got things like force plates, so you can measure kind of how people's weight moves. You've got biomechanical 3D systems that are, you know, they can tell exactly how different segments and joints work. So in one respect, that's absolutely fantastic because you've got all this evidence. But at the same time, the negative thing about that would be that you've still got to understand what all that means and... I think the art or the skill of a coach is deciphering all that information and deciding what would work well for one. So a lady coming into me playing off 32 is not going to need all that information, for, exa- for example, where um, possibly a, a young aspiring player might need to, might need, to need a, a wee bit more of that. Um, YouTube is another one for me. It's kind of, YouTube's great in certain respects, but the amount of guys that get coming in for coaching saying that they've watched the, this tip and you think, God, that's maybe not going to work for every. Yeah, Dave, yeah, put your hand up. <laughs> Remember, if David ever, ever comes in for lessons, we're just kind of debunking all those myths that he's kind of watched on, uh, on YouTube, this new funky, funky winning move that he's, he's got. But everyone's very different, and everyone moves differently. So, yeah, they're great as, as wee tips, but yeah, just uh, got to be cautious of them as well, I would say. Yeah. So you've um, you've been very active on your social media, um, especially some of your players. Um, tell us about some of the stuff you've been getting up to. Lockdown, yeah, the first kind of couple of weeks, because we didn't know how long it was going to be on for, I kind of just kind of took a back seat. And I, to be honest, I chilled out for a couple of weeks, which was great. Um, but 
I'm not a kind of before and after swing kind of coach. So I'm not a, on social media. I'm not one that says this is my my player before and this is a guy after. That's kind of that's not really my style of doing doing things. To be honest, it's more about the players for me. So I I started off. I started doing some lockdown majors. That's what I called them. So I had four young lads in my Scotland squad um, that were lucky enough to access, have access to TrackMan. So basically, every third we would try and set up a four round tournament. Starting on a Thursday at one o'clock, finishing on a Sunday. Um, so I gave them kind of distances and stuff, and they would we would go online on a house party, I think it was. We would, I'd watch them at one o'clock, so it gave me a good opportunity still to see them as well. Nice bit of competition between the four boys. Um, that was the first one that I did with four of them. And it kind of grew um, from there, because I was posting stuff on social media. So I then did the lockdown masters, and um, you know I had European tour players on. I had Paul Laurie came on and did it with Craig. I had... Um, Connor Syme, Liam Johnston involved, David Law, Michelle Tom, and it just, Michelle Toms. It just grew and grew. And then I think the fifth week I did it, I think I had about 25 players taking part, which was class. Like guys from Australia, Bangkok, Thailand. I mean, it was just, uh, it was off the charts. So um, the, the, the boys did some good interviews on, on online. Some of them got dressed up. I mean, it was just brilliant. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's unconfirmed rumours of clubs being thrown, nets being smashed. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> scoring controversy as well. So I took a week off this week. Um, I ended up... Uh, so that was, that was brilliant. Really enjoyed that. That kind of gave me a, a boost as well. Um, lucky enough to know guys like Grant Forrest, Liam Johnston, who played in the, who played in the European Tour. So they did a kind of Q&A with some of my... Uh, Paul Laurie Golf Centre kids that I work with, some academy kids and some national kids. So kind of talking about their journey from um, Scottish boys days all the way through to go to college in the States. So I thought that would be quite good for the kids that are kind of contemplating going out to the States. So I did that. And then I also had uh, Connor Simon, David Law and after that, straight after that. And they went down a completely different route where Davy and Connor both decided to not go down the States route and stay in Scotland. So I think it was quite good for the kids to see that you know, there are different routes and they were all different. Uh, they were all, you know, they weren't necessarily the best at their age group as well, which was quite good. So, um, so yeah, I think, I, I mean, I loved, I really loved doing that. And then um, my last one yesterday I had, or two days ago, was with four of my Scotland under 18 guys again. Um, again, just a and a with kind of a lot younger kids as well. So I opened that up to pretty much every kid in Scotland that followed me on Instagram or their parents. And then we had about 50 kids and parents um, watching that, so feedback was good. So yeah, something a wee bit different than just your usual kind of um, swings and tips, you know, tips that yeah. guys uh, tend to give. So yeah, absolutely loved it. One of the things that I loved about the the, the competitions that you were running with your players and things was the fact that a lot of people, you know, obviously a lot of athletes, not just golfers, but a lot of athletes are kind of struggling at the minute because they don't have anything. They're, they've been training for something, you know, and then all of a sudden everything's just kind of yanked away from them. You know, so it's hard to kind of not to, to keep motivating yourself, to keep practicing whenever you've got nothing to kind of look forward to. And I think something like that was fantastic to try and kind of get, to kind of rally a bit of support and kind of get a, you know, a, a, a joint goal, you know, to try and work towards things, you know, and at least it kind of keeps ticking over, you know, during this kind of period for whenever the courses open back up, which hopefully, hopefully won't be too long. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, even just having, again, the, it was primarily for my four young lads in the, in the squad initially and, I said, you had someone like Connor Syme, who's, he's not that much older than me, you know, he's, he's only, he's early 20s, but he would kind of come on house party and interact with the boys and, um, you know, give him back in that respect. I mean, that's massive. He probably doesn't realise 
what a boost that is for those guys, or, or Davy Law and, and even Paul playing, etc. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get back soon enough. Excellent. So, we've got the infamous nine hole challenge now, Spencer. Right, I'm ready for it. You're ready. <laughs> I am re properly warmed up in my dynamic warm up this morning, Dave. Hit 50 balls, we're fine. Exactly, brilliant. I've got the first question for you then, okay? Yeah. So, given your relentless passion for coaching, your game has obviously taken a bit of a back seat. However, that being said, what is your best and worst golf shot you've ever hit? Right. I was to say my best shot wasn't my best shot, right? But it had the best outcome. So I'm going to set the scene. Um, living out in South Africa, living out in South Africa, obviously. So I, I did my national service, and for six months I never picked up a golf club. Um, which was a bit of a nightmare, but I got invited back to play in a kind of a four ball, better ball thing with one of my mates. And it was a, a golf day that was sponsored by, uh, in South Africa they're called Bottle Stores. And it's basically a, a bit, to win boost. That's the, the long and short of it. So, so that's playing my, my best mate, an English lad called Stuart Brown. Got the fifth hole, we par three, about 165 yards. Um, Bearing in mind that about on every single tee, there's a kind of wee cat kiosk thing there that's either giving you a wee shot, something to drink, or a can of beer. Um, so by the time even that I got to the fifth hole, I was feeling slightly, uh, slightly inebriated. So stood up, six iron, old school, Ben Hogan Apex two blades, Balata golf ball, proceeded to kind of thin knife this shot, pitched about 100 yards in front of me. Um, rolled down the fairway onto the green and went straight in the hole. Um, half of the course must have thought my mate had, had the hole one. He absolutely went sprinting down, <laughs> sprinting <laughs> down the par three because I think he understood what that meant. So I'm going to say, I asked him yesterday about this and, and we reckon that we won five cases of beer and two bottles of rum after that. So uh, definitely... Uh, Definitely a fantastic shot. So, five uh, cases of beer and two bottles of rum for a hole in one. That's that's. But you're going to have to follow this on with a bad shot. So let's hear about the bad so shot. It must all be to do with par three. So the eighth hole at Mold Golf Club at Newcastle. It was a par three as well. Again, quite shorty, about one sixty. Um, I had a dose of the shanks, really, really bad. Like it, not quite, probably at your level, Dave. Actually, I've seen it before. <laughs> um, I've had Dave kind of battering the side of my teaching bay at times. Like, we'll, we'll get that's another story. So I had a real dose, real bad dose of the shanks. Um, so much so, I mean, I ended up giving my clubs to my to the greenkeeper to look after for two weeks because I just couldn't get out of it. Um, so eighth hole, par three. I think I had something like six iron off, the, and I mean, I fully shanked it. I mean, it's 160 yards. I reckon I still had 100 yards left of the flag after that. <laughs> So I've still got 100 yards, I've, I've taken my pitching wedge out and I've shanked it even further, right? So I've gone the six iron pitching wedge, I've then hit a full sand iron, which I've then shanked as well. So if you can picture, I've basically gone all the way around the green <laughs> in five shots uh, and proceeded to NRR. So yeah, five solid shanks in a row. So uh, that was good. Hence the reason I'm coaching for a living, as you can probably tell. <laughs> Spencer, great start. Off one under, off and rolling. Okay, so on to question two. Uh, Spencer, what is your favourite golf hole in the northeast? So I'm going to count Lossy Mouth or Murray Old as northeast. It's kind of just on the boundary, but um, definitely the 18th hole at Murray Old. 
anyone that's played it, it's about 400 yards. Um, I think it's an old Tom Morris design course. Pretty tight tee shot. Obviously, wind's always blowing at the, at the coast. There's out of bounds and hotels kind of all the way down the right-hand side. Um, massive bunker left on your approach shot. I think it's called Hell's Bunker if you go in that, if you try and bail out uh, down the right-hand side. So it's an absolutely class golf hole. Great memories for me as well. Not only playing it, but um, Scotland Boys team won the Home Internationals there in 2006. Uh, it was the first time in 10 years that they'd won it. So under 18 boys. Uh, so yeah, brilliant memories there. Fantastic hole. Great golf course. Do you think it's the, uh, the, the, the boys winning there that's kind of made it that special a hole for you? Is that kind of the... Yeah, d definitely. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a proud Scott boy, so to beat England and to win it for the first time in, in 10 years was, was incredible. I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure the England team had Fleetwood, um, Pepperell, some of those guys in it as well. So, um, yeah, we stayed in the hotel right across the road, so... Uh, it was a wee bit of a party celebration at the end of the night there with uh, myself and the captain. Obviously, none of the under-18 boys were, were involved before I get sacked. Mm -hmm. awesome. That's it. You have to put your feet up and enjoy, reap the rewards, you know? You do, don't team. you? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Darren? Um, I, think, I think we'll give you a par for that one. We'll, we'll okay. Keep, keep, keep you at one under. What did I get on that? A one under in the first. That's cool. Sol solid start. Even for the international win there, Darren. You know. right. Spencer's going to up his game and he's going to shoot low in the last few holes. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> so question three, Spencer. What's the funniest thing you've ever seen whilst uh, being on the golf course? So, again, going back to my, my junior days, clearly had a lot of fun kind of back, back then. Um, yet another par three. So we used to, on a Sunday afternoon, we used to go and play in a seven ball or an eight ball. In South Africa, that kind of stuff was allowed. So we used to stick five rand in each, which was about 50p. Not a load now, but kind of big cash back in those days. And we all used to take a caddy as well. So winner would take all, and you generally give half your cash to your caddy if you won. Um, so the 16th hole, it's about 200 yards over water down the right-hand side. I mean, this water is like something at Chernobyl. I mean, you just would not want to venture in there. It's absolutely <laughs> minging. Um, so one of the guys that played with regularly, his name was Richard Rothman, big, tall, blonde, Ernie Els, kind of South, South African type lad. Renowned as a fantastic ball striker. More renowned for his absolutely filthy temper, though. <laughs> so we've all kind of, we've all sparked it. We'll, we've all teed off, and I can't remember what Richard teed off, but Richard, again, stands up and fully kind of blade shank knifes this thing into the river. So... He's got his wee caddy with him. His wee caddy's called Good Enough. So we Good Enough, just in, in Zulu, shout, so, hey, winner, Richard, shy a shank. So, which translated basically politely means, Richard, you've just hit a big shank. So Richard, Richard already raging, proceeds to take the bag off the caddy and launch the caddy into the river. <laughs> um, so obviously not that far in, so uh, yes, yeah, so that was undoubtedly uh, the funniest thing I've ever seen. I met up with the guys two years ago, the first time in 20 years, and we still kind of crease ourselves laughing at that story, so. Poor old good enough. <laughs> okay, well, if you'd known good enough, it was plenty for him. It's a wee job. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to give you a birdie for that one. I quite like that one. Cheers. No caddies were harmed in this, uh, in this interview. <laughs> uh, right, Spencer. What's your favourite major moment? 
1988, Sandy Lyle, seven iron at the 18th at Augusta, undoubtedly. Uh, I was 14, I'd never really been into golf before that, but I um, remember watching it. Um, and just the fact that it was a Scotsman that had won, won the Masters. I mean, I kind of remember his, I think it was like a beigey coloured outfit he was wearing. Sandy was always renowned for his um, interest in dress sense, the waterproof jacket not zipped up and things like that. So I think that was the shot that got me kind of properly interested in golf. And um, yeah, I mean, I just remember wanting to be Sandy Lyle after that. Never really a massive fan of Nick Faldo, to be honest. So uh, when Sandy... I was always two golf balls on the golf course. It was always kind of Sandy v Nick Falder, but Falder never got a look in against Sandy. So, yeah, 98 Masters. No, that's a great answer. I'm, I'm going to give you a birdie for that because Cheers. I don't think we're going to hear many Sandy Lyle major moments from people on here. Like, that's a really good one. Like, you know. I think a lot of the local lads would probably go for something like that, you know. But Probably my age. Um, I think that's it. It's a generation thing, I think, as well. You yeah, know? yeah, I think it is, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, leading on, for, well, Darren, yeah, what did you give there? He's got a birdie again. So he's sitting three under. I think we're going to have to change the CSS in this, this course. <laughs> um, so next question, leading on from the majors. I mean, obviously growing up, you would have been like any kind of young lad, you would have been dreaming about winning a major. I mean, which one kind of appealed to you the most and why? The funniest thing is, Dave, living in kind of South Africa was a wee bit different. Obviously, when I was kind of up until about 18, I lived in South Africa. So for me, it was kind of Ryder Cup. Like it was always Ryder Cup for me. Um, and that was kind of, that was always my dream was to, 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 to you know, to play in the Ryder Cup. Um, I just, I, team events and that kind of thing was, was absolutely brilliant. But I would say kind of when I moved back to Scotland and I moved kind of down towards Cooper, I would say it would have had to be in the Open in St Andrews because there is just such, such a special kind of feeling when you walk it, when you go into St Andrews, which I'd never fully appreciated living abroad. Um, and then the first time I went to St Andrews, it's just a, it's an eerie kind of feeling. So... I just, again, being a Scot, um, we, we train our Scotland boys down in St Andrews, or we used to kind of back in the day, and we used to go running down on the beach, and I would always make a point, a bit like Chariots of Fire, you know? So I would, uh, I would always make a point of running across the old course on the Sunday morning, because it was obviously closed, and just stopping and sit, you know, standing with the boys and saying, look, just take this in, because one of you might be standing here winning, winning the Open. So I think if I didn't win, I'm never going to win a major, but certainly you know, it would be great to see one of the young lads doing that. Yeah, it's definitely whatever you're driving in the St Andrews. I mean, as you come around the, the rugby pitches and that, you know, you definitely get the butterflies in your belly whenever you start to see the the clubhouse totally. in the background and everything. Mm -hmm. Totally love it. Absolutely love the place. Scoring, David. So, uh, yeah, and I think mm -hmm. I'm going to go for a par for that one because I I was I thought I, I like the answer about the Ryder Cup and things like that, but I think the Open. Yeah, I think. I think the Open kind of holds a special place for everyone from, from obviously kind of the UK, you know, so yeah. I think that's a pretty standard answer. I'll take part. I'll take part. Good part. Um, so if you had one more round of golf in you, who would be your dream four ball and which course would you play? Obviously, other than Dave, um, <laughs> I've got kind of three guys. Um, if I can just put my camera down there a wee bit, I don't know if you can kind of see that, but that's kind of a... It's called the Barry Douglas Foundation. So it's a foundation that I'm kind of, um, kind of basically one of the kind of founders of this foundation. Barry was a, he was a Scotland voice captain, um, mid 60s, late 60s year old guy, absolute legend of a guy. Um, sadly passed away when we were at the European Boys Team Championship out in Spain. Um, but 
just one, he was like a second dad to me. So never a dull moment with Barry um, on the golf course, especially the other two guys we'd be playing with. I mean, he would just, he'd be ripping into them constantly. So drinks afterwards would be, would be class. And I think, you know, Sean, obviously you know Sean Bean, but a quick Barry story about Sean Bean, who was the King of the North or whatever it was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, including the European boys out in the Czech Republic. Um, Sean Bean was actually sitting there with his baseball cap on, having a quiet drink himself at the bar that we were staying at at the hotel. And Barry walked straight over to him and told him to take his hat off because he was sitting in a bar. Barry did, had no idea who he was. I mean, it could have been Mr. Bean. I mean, Baz had no clue what he just said to, to Sean Bean. So that's the kind of guy Barry was. So great guy having a, an any four ball. Um, Really boring second. This is probably going to drop me a shot here, but it has to be Seve. Um, absolute legend. I Lots. wouldn't say that drops you a shot. Oh, cheers. Cheers. Maybe, maybe get me one. But I thought Seve, obvious reasons as well. Seve's kind of one of my heroes growing up. I mean, I, whenever I was practicing short game, it was always I want to be Seve. Loved his passion. The story, I mean, I tell the story to the young lads about when they got beat at the Ryder Cup in the States, and Seve was like, why is everyone so kind of upset? because we nearly beat them. And I think that was kind of almost the catalyst for Europe you know, to, to go on and win uh, Ryder Cup. So Seve, totally. And again, for me, Scotland's greatest. It was a toss-up between Robert De Niro and Andy Murray, but I've gone Andy Murray. Um, for me, Scotland's greatest ever sportsman. Passion, fire, work ethic, grit, determination. I mean, I watched his, um, was it Resurface that it was called, the documentary? Yeah, brilliant really documentary. Phenomenal, really dry sense of humour as well, which I don't think kind of comes across a lot. <clears throat> Massively patriotic guy. So, yeah, I'd definitely have, uh, I'd have Andy Murray in there as well for me. Mm -hmm. And where would you play? Again, I was going to be boring and say St Andrews or Augusta. But I've actually gone for the honourable company of Edinburgh golfers, Muirfield. Um, Absolutely love the golf course, first and foremost. Um, I love what it's all about afterwards. So, you know, you play your 18 holes and you go in and you have your lunch. And if you're lucky enough to, you know, obviously, you're playing with members, you'd be having a kind of kumal or two, a few glasses of red wine. Then you'd go back out and play in the afternoon round, which um, half cut would be absolutely brilliant. Especially <laughs> in, uh, seeing how uh, Seve and Andy would cope with Barry, who would definitely be playing them a drink at. <laughs> after 18 holes but love the place I'm not a massive traditionalist but there is just still something special about that place for me cool you're getting a birdie for that one that's a good, oh, good lad cheers that. Darren yeah Dave's a bit tighter because he's, uh, he's looking for free lessons you better start giving me some birdies mate. <laughs> Darren, Darren I wanted to give him a roast in here and give him some pars <laughs> <laughs> so next question Spencer who would play a movie of you in your life and why um Undoubtedly, Christian Bale. Ooh. I had a massive man crush on Christian Bale. Seeing the three Dark Knight movies, I just thought he was absolutely class. Uh, yeah. I think it was a, born on a wee bit obsessed. I'm not sure what my wife thought about that, to be honest. <laughs> so, I definitely go Christian Bale, but um, it was quite funny when you that question, wee bit different. There was a film made in St. Andrews called Bobby, Bobby, uh, wee Bobby, uh, Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius. Oh, I've seen it. Have you seen it's it? Brilliant. Yeah. So I was working down at Dromoig at the time and, and we got a call asking for me to be the kind of stunt double for the main actor, the guy called Jim Kazeebel, I think it was, who played Bob name. Jones. 
So I was absolutely buzzing. I mean, I was online looking at Bobby Jones's swings. I was ready to get all dressed up in the old gear. And uh, yeah, sadly got pulled at the last minute. So my Hollywood moment went, I'm afraid. So, uh, so I'll stick with it. I'll stick with my, uh, I'll, I'll stick with my Christian Bale. Spencer, that could have been a life-changing moment to go into, go into movies. To be honest, though, I'm not sure I could have done Bobby Jones's swing any, any justice. <clears> and if anyone's seen my short game, uh, definitely would have done it any justice at all. Darren, I have to give him a birdie. He was almost in a movie. so. <laughs> and I would probably agree with you about Christian Bale. I mean, Christian Bale and Batman... Well, not so much good looks, but his, his dedication to acting would equate to your dedication to coaching, if you know what I mean. It's yep. it's very, very passionate. So, yeah. Thank you. Cheers, Dave. Sorry, the resemblance well, half is uncanny. Half hour free lesson coming for Aye. Dave when he comes back. That's it. It's fishing. <laughs> right, You'll be fully booked. If you were going to create the greatest all-round golfer, what skills from different professionals would you put together to do so? Right, so thought again about that one. So probably driving, I was going to go Ben Hogan. Again, Ben Hogan, someone that I, as a golf coach, you just kind of marvel at his golf swing. And hearing about the, sh the four tee shots he had in a row down, down Carnoustie at Hogan's Alley, if it's true, it's just ridiculous. Um, so I definitely go, tee shots are going to be Rory. Um, again, I'm a massive Tiger Woods fan on the golf course. So I'd go Tiger Woods, uh, iron play, I think, phenomenal. I think his last round at the Masters last year, any kids watching that should, should just see how kind of well he kind of strategizes and manages the way around the golf course. Um, I remember him always talking about hitting aggressive shots to conservative targets, proper great advice. Um, mental, I think you'd have to go Tiger as well. I mean, the old boy obviously drummed a, drummed a fair bit of that into him when he was growing up, um, and his mum as well, obviously. So go Tiger, mental. Um, Seve, short game and heart. I remember 1995 Ryder Cup, he was up against Tom Lehman, I think. I mean, Seve never saw the fairway. And I think he was, I think it would be three and two, but his short game that day was just ridiculous. And some of the stories, you know, you hear from people about Seve, it would, ju it would just have to be, be Seve. Um, Putnam, I'm going to go modern. Another golfer that I really admire, uh, Jason Day. Statistically, the best putter that's ever... Uh, lived statistically on the PGA Tour uh, stats for, I can't remember, the, it was two, three, two seasons out of three. Incredible putter, but also just his kind of dedication. And um, anyone listening to this, if they've not seen the Never Say Die video by Jason Day, which kind of through his childhoods and the adversity he went through, class, love Jason Day, I think he's absolutely class. Not a fan of his speed of play, but everything else, I think he's a top, top man. Cool. Uh, some good answers there, David. Um, yeah, can I just back just backtracking a wee bit? Mm. Did you go for Tiger for the iron play and mental side of the game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was going to go. I, I put down passion here as well. The last one because I'm, I'm mad, like I'm I'm really passionate about things. So I think for kind of three days a year, Ian Poulter when he plays Ryder Cup has got to be the man for me. It breaks my heart to say it, him being an Englishman and everything, but. <laughs> But yeah, Paul's Ryder Cup just looks it's phenomenal. And what he did at Medina will at long live with me as well. So the postman. Postman, he certainly delivered. It's impressive how he does it every single anytime he's in a Ryder Cup, he seems to just find this extra gear. Yeah. You know, and it's it's impressive to watch. 
Monty was like that as well, wasn't he? Never really a great putter statistically, but Ryder Cup, he seemed to, to turn it on. So, yeah. Cool. I'm going to award you a solid par for that one. Thank you. Right. On to question nine, David. Nine. Final question. Spencer, if you weren't a golf professional, what would you be? Dave, much like myself, I do love my grub. So I reckon I would, after 20 years of training, would be a two-star Michelin chef. Um, food is, other than golf, I, and my wife, obviously, I would say food is kind of one of my major passions. I mean, I absolutely, I just love food, especially. So whenever we travel, we're always trying to go to decent restaurants and went to Mallorca last year, went to class Michelin star restaurant, but then went to a fish market as well where we were kind of just sitting down with all the locals, drinking cava, eating um, pimientos and eating, uh, what else was it? Pulpo, which is um, kind of octopus. So absolutely love cooking. At the moment, I've got uh, ribs in my, um, ribs marinating for 24 hours for tomorrow for my spare ribs, making a strawberry and chocolate ice cream later. So uh, I think I might be the first golf pro to bring out a book which includes coaching and uh, and cooking. So, uh, yeah, love my grub. Fortunate enough to travel a lot with Scotland as well to loads of different countries. So one thing I always make the boys do when we're away traveling is they've got to try something that they've never eaten before. So, um, yeah, Michelin star, two Michelin star chef, rivaling Gordon Ramsay for sure. Mm. That's an impressive passion for food, Spencer. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, however, what what score are we sitting at? Uh, he's currently sitting five under par. This could be the end of us, Dave. <laughs> These coffees <laughs> that I make for you during breaks. There's <laughs> 30 minute lessons on the line here, David. I'm going to give you a six because it seems like your passion for food. It yep. It carries over into golf and everything, you know. So I think the fact that I would probably believe that you probably have talent to be able to become a Michelin two. What is it? A Michelin two star chef. Yeah, yeah. I would probably believe it. So I'm yeah. gonna go for a birdie. Yeah, so I think about. we've. I think we actually have a topper at the leaderboard there. Certainly do. She's just taking the, the pole position. That was good. Um. So, what kind of stuff are you are you getting these guys to eat when you're away? Is it like? Like when we went to, I don't know if you've been to Sweden before, but the Nordic countries, they eat these, um, it's like licorice, but it's proper, proper salty. Huh. So I got, I got the boys trying that. We went, we played the World Boys Championship in Japan. So they basically, when, you, when, we, when we went to Japan, I mean, there was nada on the menu. You didn't understand what you were eating. So yeah. they had to try, try bits and pieces like that. Sadly, when you go to Italy, there's nothing that's not tasty. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just whenever away, try and just try something, just something out of your comfort zone, yeah. um, which can be difficult for the boys. The diets can be uh, can be interesting as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that throws you to the top of the leaderboard. Six under is a pretty good score. It's going to take some beating. One for Scotland there. Absolutely. <laughs> so moving on to the last part of the interview, Spencer, we have a quick fire round. Right. Um, and we're just going to give you two answers you can pick which one you which one you you prefer okay right. so i'm going to get things i'm going to get the ball rolling okay? okay would you rather shank it or miss a one foot putt shank it would you prefer to buggy or walk for 18 holes walk every day of the week water or sports drink water 
Windy or still conditions? Windy. Wooden or castle tea? I can't believe you'd even ask me that. A wooden tea. <laughs> you, Dave, you're the kind of boy that have the castle tea with a wee bit of string attached to it as well, so you wouldn't lose it. I, could, I can picture it. Collect the whole set. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, the gym or the couch? Uh, oh. Gym and outside running in normal life, so a good gym, but the couch during lockdown for Netflix to the max. A blade or cavity? Blade, Ben, Ho ben Hogan, Apex twos. Stinger or a stratosphere ball? Stinger. Fruit or energy bar? Fruit. White trousers or shorts? Never white trousers because I don't think I could pull them off and I would I'd feel I'd have to wear a song if I was wearing white trousers. So <laughs> shorts all the time. Chip or putt? Oh, Jesus, definitely putt. I could probably miss a chip. I actually miss the ball. <laughs> um, lay up or go all out? I'm going to say lay up for the young lads that I coach. Tin cup or happy Gilmore? Happy Gilmore. Yes. <laughs> Darren's firmly in the Happy Gilmore camp, oh. and I'm very much in the tin, tin cup camp. Answer. I love it. I'm glad, I'm glad that one got asked after the last birdie question. I would have been shafted for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you appear to have scored a treble bogey on the ninth question. <laughs> <laughs> the leaderboard. That's <laughs> yeah, good. So, no, very impressive. Uh, very impressive scores, Spencer. I mean, yeah. you mentioned about you mentioned about running there as well. I mean, you've been doing quite a bit of running, haven't you? Aye. Um, I think I, I think I maybe just hold the five k record at Paul Laurie Golf Centre from Stuart McEwen, just possibly. Um, well, hang on a second. You don't know you don't know my my time. So go ahead, elaborate on your time. Uh, I think it what, what was it twenty minutes and twenty. Four seconds, 25 seconds, something like that. Yeah, For a 46 year old fat man, I'm quite, I'm quite proud of that. But yeah, I've been actually, one of my lockdown goals was to build up to a marathon. So I'm up to 30 Ks at the moment. So I think I'll be able to manage it um, within the next kind of week or two. So yeah, I like running. It's nice, clears the mind, listen to, listen to good podcasts and just chill out. So obviously we're getting this one on the next time I'm out running. I know you won't want to have to listen to me any more than you have to, Spencer. So, <laughs> yeah, I blanked your call the first time you called Dave for this. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, listen, Spencer. Thanks very much for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of out of your day to kind of come and ch chat to us and give us some of these answers. Um, and hopefully, you won't be in lockdown for much longer. Hopefully, the courses will be getting open by the signs of things that has uh, been announced on the news. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, boys. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I really appreciate uh, giving me the time for it. So thanks a lot. Right, Cheers, Dan. Right. Good meeting you as well, mate. Yeah, you too. Um, take care, Spencer, and we'll uh, catch up with you again soon. Right, magic. Cheers, lads. Yes, thanks. Bye. Bye.